0: Chapter four Part one of Nana by Emiso Translated by Burton Rasco This LIBRIVOX recording is in the public domain four Part one Ever since the morning Zoe had given up the entire apartment to a person who had arrived from Brebans with quite a staff of waiters and other assistants. Brebant was to furnish everything the supper, the glass and crockery, the table linen, flowers, and even seats and stools. Nana would not have found a dozen napkins if she had ransacked all her cupboards, and not having as yet had time to set herself up in everything since her new start in life, disdaining to go to a restaurant, she had preferred to make the restaurant come to her. It was more the thing. She wished to celebrate her great success as an actress by a supper which would be the talk of everyone. As the dining-room was too small, they had set up the table in the drawing-room, a table on which places for twenty-five had been laid rather close together. "'Is everything ready?' asked Nana on returning home at midnight. "'Oh, I don't know,' replied roughly Zoe, who seemed altogether out of sorts. "'Thank goodness! I have nothing to do with it. "'They are smashing everything in the kitchen and all over the place. "'With all that I've had another row. "'The other two have been again. "'Upon my word I chucked them out of the place.' She was speaking of Madame's two ex-gentlemen, the tradesman and the Wallachian, whom Nana had decided to dismiss. "'For being now certain as to the future, "'she wished to turn over a new leaf, as she called it. "'What an abominable nuisance they are!' she murmured. "'If they come again, threaten them with the commissary of police.' "'Then she called Dagonet and Georges, "'who had remained in the ante-room hanging up their overcoats. "'They had met at the stage door in the Passage des Panorama, "'and she had brought them in her cab. "'As no one else had arrived, "'she called to them to come into the dressing-room whilst Zoe got her ready.' In haste and without changing her things, she had her hair done up and placed some white roses in it and some others in her dress. The dressing-room was all encumbered with the furniture of the drawing-room which had been placed there, a lot of little round tables, sofas and armchairs, one on top of the other, and she was quite ready when her skirt caught on one of the casters and tore. Then in her fury she swore and cursed. Such accidents only happened to her. She tugged at her dress with rage and pulled it off. It was made of a soft white silk, so simple, so supple and so fine, that it enveloped her like a long chemise. But, not finding another dress to her taste, she put it on again at once, almost crying and saying she would look like a rag-picker. and Georges fastened up the tear with pins, whilst Zoe tidied her hair once more. All three busied themselves round about her, the youngster especially, who was on his knees on the floor, his hands buried in her skirt. She at length became calmer, when Dagonet assured her it could not be more than a quarter past midnight, for she had so hurried the last act of the blonde Venus, camping the cues and skipping entire verses. "'It was anyhow quite good enough for all those fools,' said she. "'Did you notice? They were a rum-looking lot tonight. Zoe, my girl, you will have to wait here. Don't go to bed, as I may perhaps want you.' "'By Jingo, just in time.' Here's someone. She hastened out of the room, leaving Georges on the floor, his coat tails sweeping the carpet. He blushed as he noticed Dagonet watching him. However, they had begun to feel a certain affection for each other. They rearranged their neckties in front of the big looking glass and gave one another a brush to get rid of the white powder that hung about their clothes from their contact with Nana. It's just like sugar, murmured Georges with a laugh of a greedy baby. A footman hired for the night ushered the guests into the parlour, a narrow room in which four easy-chairs only had been left so as to leave more space for the people. From the drawing-room close by could be heard the noise of crockery and plate being moved about, whilst a bright light shone under the door. Nana, on entering, found Clarisse Bessness, whom La Faloise had brought, already seated in one of the chairs. "'What? You are the first, said Nana, who treated her familiarly since her own success." "'Well, it's his fault,' replied Clarisse. "'He is always afraid of being too late. "'If I had listened to him, "'I should not even have waited "'to take my wig and my make-up off.' "'The young man who had met Nana for the first time "'bowed and complimented her, "'spoke of his cousin, "'and sought to hide his confusion "'under an excess of politeness. "'But Nana, without listening to him, "'without even knowing who he was, "'shook his hand and hastened to receive Rose Mignon. "'She became at once most ladylike.' ''Ah, dear madame, how kind of you! I longed so much to have you with us!'' ''It is I who am charmed, I assure you,'' said Rose, equally amiable. ''Pray sit down. Do you require anything?'' ''No, thank you. Ah, I have forgotten my fan in my pelisse. See Steiner, in the right-hand pocket.'' Steiner and Mignon had entered behind Rose. The banker went out and returned with the fan, whilst Mignon fraternally embraced Nana and made Rose kiss her too. Were they not all of the same family, they of the theatre? Then he winked his eyes as though to encourage Steiner. But the latter, disconcerted by Rose's fixed look, did not venture to do more than kiss Nana's hand. Just then the Count de Vendeuvre arrived with Blanche de Sivry. There was a great deal of bowing and curtsying. Nana most ceremoniously led Blanche to a chair. Vendoeuvre laughingly related that Faucherie was having a row below, because the concierge would not allow Lucy Stewart's carriage to enter the courtyard. They could hear Lucy Stewart in the ante room speaking of the concierge as a dirty blackguard. But when the footman opened the door, she advanced, graceful and smiling, pronounced her name herself, and took hold of both Nana's hands, saying she loved her as soon as ever she saw her and that she thought she had a wonderful talent. Nana, all proud of her position as mistress of the house but greatly confused, murmured her thanks. She seemed, too, to be rather preoccupied ever since Fauchery's arrival. As soon as she was able to get near him she asked in a low voice, Will he come? No, he declined, roughly replied the journalist taking unawares, although he had prepared a long rigmarole to explain Count Mufa's refusal. He at once saw his stupidity as he noticed how the young woman paled and he tried to modify what he had said. He was not able to come. He has to take the countess tonight to the ball at the Ministry of the Interior. All right, murmured Nana, who suspected he had not troubled himself in the matter. I'll make you smart for that, my boy. Look here. He returned indignant at the menace. I don't care for such errands. Another time, give them to La Bordette. They were both quite angry and turned their backs on each other. At that moment, Mignon pushed Steiner up against Nana. When she was alone, he said to her in a low voice, with the good-natured cynicism of a pal wishing to oblige a friend, "'You know he's dying for love of you. Only he's afraid of my wife. You'll protect him, won't you?' Nana pretended not to understand. She smiled and looked at Rose, her husband, and then the banker. Then she said to the latter, "'Monsieur Steiner, you will sit next to me.' But sounds of laughter were heard coming from the ante-room, there were whisperings, and then quite a hubbub of gay voices all speaking at once, as though a whole convent full of girls had been let loose there. Suddenly La Bordette appeared, dragging five women behind him. His school, as Lucy Stewart maliciously termed them. There was Gaga, looking very majestic in a blue velvet dress that was a great deal too tight for her. Caroline Equet always in black Flemish silk trimmed with chantilly lace. Then Léa de Horn, most slovenly dressed, as usual. Plump, teton a jolly fair girl with the breast of a wet nurse whom everyone made fun of, and, finally, little Maria Blonde, a girl of fifteen as thin and as wicked as a street-arab, and who was becoming quite the fashion ever since her first appearance at the Folie Dramatique Theater. La Bordette had brought them all in the same cab, and they were still laughing at the recollection of how they had been squeezed together with Maria Blonde on the other's knees, but they composed themselves, shaking hands and bowing all around like the most respectable people. Gaga acted quite childishly, and even stuttered in her attempts to behave well. Tata Nenée, however, who had been told coming along that six naked niggers would wait on them during Nana's supper, became very uneasy at not seeing them. La Bordette called her a goose and told her to hold her tongue. "'And bordenave inquired "Fochery, "'Oh, I am really quite upset.' cried Nana. He will not be able to join us. Yes, said Rose Mignon, His foot caught in a trap-door and he has sprained his ankle most abominably. If you had only heard him swear with his leg all tied up and stretched out on a chair. Then they all expressed their regret. No one ever gave a good supper without Bordenave. However, they must try to do without him. And they were already talking of something else when the sound of a loud voice reached them. What next? What next? "'So that's the way I'm buried and forgotten?' There was a shout and all the heads were turned in the direction of the door. It was Bordenave, enormous in size and very red, his legs stretched out straight, who appeared leaning on Simon Cabiroche's shoulder. For the time being, Simon was the lady of his affections. The child, who had received a good education, being able to play the piano and speak English, was fair and very pretty.' but so delicate that she quite bent beneath Bourdonnav's heavy weight, though smiling and submissive all the time. He stood still for a few seconds, conscious that they made quite a picture. "'Well, what do you say? Just see how I love you,' he continued. "'The truth is, I was afraid I should feel deuced dull, so I said to myself, "'I shall go.' But he interrupted himself with an oath. "'Damnation!' Simon had made a step rather too quickly, and his foot had touched the ground. He abused and shook her. She, without ceasing her smile, held down her pretty face like an animal that is afraid of being beaten, supporting him with all the strength of a plump little blonde. However, in the midst of his exclamation, the others hastened to assist him. Nana and Rosemignon wheeled forward an armchair into which Bordonave allowed himself to be placed, whilst the other women slipped another chair beneath his injured leg and all the actresses who were there kissed him as a matter of course. He groaned, he sighed. Confound it, confound it. Anyhow, the stomach's all right, as you'll soon see. Other guests had arrived, and one could scarcely move about in the room. The noise of the plate and the crockery had ceased, but now the sound of a quarrel came from the drawing-room, where the head waiter was speaking in a furious tone of voice. Nana was becoming very impatient, for not expecting anyone else, she was surprised the supper was not served. She had sent Georges off to see what the waiters were about, when, to her great surprise, some more people, both men and women, entered the room. These last comers she did not know at all. Then, scarcely knowing what to think, she questioned Bordenave, Mignon, La Bordette. But they were not acquainted with them either. When she spoke to the Count de Vendeuve, he suddenly recollected, They were the young men that he had got hold of at Count Mifaz. Nana thanked him. It was all right, all right. Only they would have to sit very close together, and she asked La Bordette to have seven more places laid. He had scarcely left the room when the footman ushered in three more persons. Oh, this time it was becoming too ridiculous. There would never be room for everyone. Nana, who was beginning to lose her temper, said in her grandest style that it was scarcely proper. But seeing two more arrive, she burst out laughing. She thought it altogether too funny. So much the worse. They would have to make room for each other the best way they could. They were all standing up except Gaga and Rosemignon and Baudenave, who monopolized to himself two of the four chairs. There was a regular hum of voices. They talked low and now and again suppressed some slight yawns. I say, my child, observed Baudenave, supposing we adjourned to supper... We have our full number, have we not? Oh, yes, to be sure we have our full number, she replied laughing. She looked about her. But she suddenly became serious, as though surprised at not seeing someone there. There was doubtless still one guest missing of whom she had not spoken. They must wait. A few minutes later they noticed in their midst a tall gentleman with a noble-looking countenance and a handsome white beard, And the strange thing was that no one had seen him enter the room. He must have got into the parlour from the bedroom by the door that was left ajar. Only some whispering broke the silence. Count de Vendeuvre evidently knew the gentleman, for they had very discreetly shaken each other by the hand, but he only answered the women's questions with a smile. Then Caroline Kay, in a low voice, bet he was an English nobleman who was returning to London on the morrow to be married. She knew him well, in fact only too well, this story went the round of the ladies only Maria Blonde pretended on her side that he was a German ambassador, and, to prove it, said that he was most intimately acquainted with one of her lady friends. The men, in a few words, rapidly judged him. He looked like a person of means. Perhaps he stood the supper. It was probable. It appeared like it. Well, what did it matter so long as the supper was good? At all events, one remained in doubt. They were already forgetting the presence of the old gentleman with the white beard when the head waiter opened the drawing-room door. Madame is served. Nanette took Steiner's arm without seeming to notice a movement on the part of the old gentleman who therefore walked behind her all by himself. Besides, it was out of the question to go in in couples. The men and women all entered anyhow, pleasantly joking on the want of ceremony like so many worthy tradespeople. A long table stretched from one end of the large room to the other, and yet this table was too small for the plates on it all touched. Four candelabra with ten candles each lighted it up. There was one especially in plated metal with sheaves of flowers on either side. It was the luxury of a restaurant, plates and dishes without initials or crests, but with gold lines round them, plate worn and tarnished by constant washings, glasses that were almost all odd ones and of the commonest patterns. It was like a housewarming given too soon, in the midst of a sudden accession to fortune, and before anything had been put straight. A gasolier was wanting. The candles of the candelabra, being very tall, could only be snuffed with difficulty, and shed a yellow and feeble light over the dessert dishes, the centerpieces, and the glass place in which the fruit, the cakes, and the preserves were alternated symmetrically. "'You know,' said Nana, "'you must all seat yourselves as you like. "'It's more amusing.' she was standing up at the middle of the table. The old gentleman whom no one knew had placed himself on her right while she kept Steiner on her left. Some of the guests were already seating themselves when a storm of oaths issued from the parlor. It was Baudenave who had been forgotten, and who had the greatest difficulty in the world in getting up from his two chairs, bawling away shouting for that jade Simone gone off with the others. The women full of pity hastened to him. Bourdenave soon appeared supported almost carried by Caroline, Clarisse, Tatonini, and Maria Blonde, and it was quite an affair to place him comfortably. "'In the middle of the table opposite Nana!' they all cried. "Bourdonnave in the middle! He shall preside!' Then the ladies seated him in the place indicated, but he required a second chair for his leg. Two of the women raised the injured limb and carefully placed it out straight. It didn't matter, he would only have to eat sideways. "'Confound it all!' he groaned. "'It's a deuce-tight fit. "'Ah, my little darlings, you must look well after papa.' He had Rosemignon on his right hand and Lucy Stewart on his left. They promised to take every care of him. The others now all hastened to seat themselves. The Count de Vandeuvre placed himself between Lucy and Clarisse and Faucherie between Rose Mignon and Caroline Nequet. On the other side of the table, Hector de la Faloise had hurriedly taken the seat next to Gaga, in spite of Clarisse, who sat facing them, whilst Mignon, who stuck as close as possible to Steiner, was only separated from him by Blanche, having tattend on his left. Then came La Bordette, whilst at the ends of the table were several young men and some women, Simone, Léa de Horn, Maria Blonde, all jumbled up together without the least order. It was there that Dagonet and Georges Hugo sympathized with each other more and more as they smilingly watched Nana. There was a good deal of chaffing, however, as two persons had been unable to find seats. The men offered their knees. Clarisse, who could not move her elbows, told Vardoeuvre that he would have to feed her. That Bordenaire, he occupied such a lot of room with his two chairs. There was a final effort, another squeeze, and everyone was at last seated, But, as Mignon exclaimed, they were packed like herrings in a barrel. "'Asparagus soup, delignac soup,' murmured the waiters as they handed round the plates behind the guests. Bordeneuve was advising everyone to take the delignac soup when a shout of protestation and anger arose. The door had once more opened and three late comers, a woman and two men, had entered the room. "'Oh, no, it was too much. It would never do!' "'Nana, however, without leaving her chair, shaded her eyes and tried to see if she knew them. "'The woman was Louise Violaine, but she had never seen the men before. "'My dear,' said Vandeuvre, "'this gentleman, M. de Foucarmon, whom I invited, is a friend of mine and a naval officer.' Foucarmont, bowing in an easy sort of way, added, "'And I ventured to bring one of my friends.' "'Oh, quite right, quite right,' said Nana. "'Pray be seated.' Come, Clarisse, move a little this way. You have lots of room over there. There, now, with a little goodwill. They all squeezed together closer than ever, and Foucarmont and Louise managed to get a tiny corner of the table for themselves. But the friend had to sit at some distance from his plate and eat by passing his arms between his neighbor's shoulders. The waiters removed the soup plates and truffled rabbit formed the next course. Bourdenave created quite a row by stating that he had the idea of bringing Pruliere, Fontan, and Old Bosque. Nana became most dignified at once. She said sharply that she would have received them in a way that they would not have liked. If she had wanted her comrades, she was quite capable of asking them herself. No, no, she would have none of that sort. Old Bosque was always drunk, Pruliere was a good deal too conceited, and as for Fontan... He made himself quite unbearable in society with his loud voice and his stupidity. Then, you see, such wretched strollers as they were always out of place with gentlemen. Yes, yes, it's quite true, declared Mignon. All these gentlemen seated round the table looked very stylish in their dress suits and with their pale faces, which their fast way of living rendered all the more refined. The old gentleman was very deliberate in his movements and smiled serenely, as though he were presiding at a Congress of diplomatists, Vedoeuvre was so exquisitely polite to the ladies on either side of him that one might have thought him at Countess Miffa that very morning. Nana had said to her aunt that one could not hope for better sort of men, all noble or else rich, in fact men who were quite the fashion and as for the ladies, they behaved themselves very well. A few blanche lea Louise had come with low-necked dresses. Gaga alone displayed more, perhaps, than she ought, especially as at her age she had far better have shown nothing at all. Now that they had all managed to seat themselves, the laughter and chaffing ceased. Georges could not help thinking that he had assisted at much livelier meals at the houses of the middle-class citizens of Orléans. There was hardly any conversation. The men, not knowing one another, merely stared, and the women kept very quiet. That was what most astonished Georges. HE THOUGHT THEM VERY SLOW. HE HAD EXPECTED THAT THERE WOULD HAVE BEEN A GREAT DEAL OF KISSING AT ONCE. THEY WERE SERVING THE NEXT COURSE CONSISTING OF RHINE CARP AND VENISON COOKED IN THE ENGLISH STYLE WHEN BLANCHE SAID OUT LOUD, LUCY, MY DEAR, I MET YOUR OLIVIER ON SUNDAY. HOW TALL HE HAS GROWN. WELL, YOU KNOW HE IS eighteen YEARS OLD, REPLIED LUCY. IT DOESN'T MAKE ME LOOK ANY THE YOUNGER. HE WENT BACK TO SCHOOL YESTERDAY. Her son Olivier, of whom she spoke with pride, was a student at the naval school. Then they started talking of the children. All the ladies became very tender-hearted. Nana told them how happy she was. Her baby, her little Louis, was now at her aunt's, who brought him to see her every morning at eleven o'clock, and she took him into bed with her, where he played with Lulu, her terrier. It would make you laugh to see them get under the clothes right down to the bottom of the bed, no one had any idea how sharp little Louis had already become. Oh, yesterday I had such a day of it, related Rose Mignon in her turn. Only fancy I went and fetched Charles and Henri from their school, and in the evening they insisted on going to the theater. They jumped for joy and clapped their little hands. We shall see Mamma act, we shall see Mamma act. Oh, they were quite delighted. Mignon smiled complacently. His eyes wet with tears of paternal love. And during the performance, he continued, they were so funny, looking as serious as men, devouring Rose with their eyes, and asking me why their mama hadn't any clothes on her legs. Everyone round the table burst out laughing. Mignon Triumph flattered in his paternal pride. He adored the little ones. His only anxiety was to increase their fortune by administering, with all the skill of a faithful steward, the money which Rose earned at the theatre and elsewhere. At the time they married, when he was leader of the band at the music hall where she was engaged to sing, they loved each other passionately. Now they remained merely good friends. It was all arranged between them. She worked as hard as she could, with all her talent and with all her beauty. He had given up his violin the better to watch over her successes as an actress and a woman. One could never have found a more comfortable or united couple. "'How old is the eldest?' asked Vandeuvre. "'Henri is nine years old,' replied Mignon. "'Oh, but he's so strong!' Then he chapped Steiner, who did not care for children, and told him with quiet audacity that if he were a father he would not squander his fortune so stupidly, Whilst talking, he kept eyeing the banker across Blanche's shoulders to see how he was getting on with Nana. But for some minutes past, Rose and Faucherie, who had been speaking very close to each other, had made him rather anxious. He hoped Rose was not going to waste her time with such stupidity. If she were, he would make it his business to prevent it. And with his well-shaped hands, which sported a diamond ring on the little finger, he finished cutting up his venison steak. THE CONVERSATION ABOUT CHILDREN, HOWEVER, CONTINUED. LA FALOISE, RENDERED QUITE BASHFUL BY GAGA'S PROXIMITY, BEGAN TO ASK HER FOR NEWS OF HER DAUGHTER, WHOM HE HAD HAD THE PLEASURE OF SEEING WITH HER AT THE VARIETY THEATRE. LILY WAS VERY WELL, BUT SHE WAS STILL QUITE A TOMBOY. HE WAS QUITE astounded WHEN HE HEARD THAT SHE WAS ALMOST NINETEEN YEARS OLD. GAGA AT ONCE BECAME IN HIS EYES FAR MORE IMPOSING, AND AS HE TRIED TO FIND OUT WHY SHE HAD NOT BROUGHT LILY WITH HER, "'Oh, no, never, never,' she said, highly indignant. "'Only three months ago she insisted on leaving school. "'I wished to marry her at once. "'But she loves me so much I was obliged to have her with me. "'Ah, quite against my wish, I assure you.' Her blue eyelids, with the lashes all burnt away, blinked as she spoke of settling the young lady in life. If, at her age, she had never been able to put a sou on one side, "'always working, obliging the men still.' "'especially very young ones, whose grandmother she might have been. "'It was really because a good marriage was worth far more.' "'She leaned towards Faloise, who turned quite red beneath the enormous naked and plastered shoulder "'with which she almost crushed him. "'You know,' she murmured, "'if she makes a mistake it won't be my fault. "'But girls are so peculiar when they are young.' "'There was a good deal of commotion going on round the table. "'The waiters hurried about.' The next course, consisting of fattened pullets, fillets of sole, and stewed liver, made its appearance. The head waiter, who, in the way of wine, had up until then only offered Merceau, now sent round Chambertin and Léoville. In the slight hubbub occasioned by the changing of the plates, Georges, more surprised than ever, asked Dagonet if all the ladies had children. And he, amused by the questions, gave him a few particulars. Lucy Stewart was the daughter of a porter of English origin employed on the Northern Railway she was thirty-nine years old with the head of a horse but nevertheless a most adorable person frightfully consumptive yet never dying the greatest swell of all the women there and who could count amongst her conquests three princes and a duke caroline equet who was born at bordeaux was the daughter of a clerk in humble circumstances who died of shame She had the good luck to possess a mother who was a strong-minded woman and who, after cursing her and indulging in a year's reflection, suddenly restored her to her place in the maternal affections with the object of watching over her fortunes. The daughter, who was twenty-five years old and of a very cold nature, enjoyed the reputation of being one of the prettiest women in the market at the price that never varied. The mother, a very orderly woman, kept the books with the utmost accuracy as to profit and loss, and managed the entire establishment from the small apartment she occupied two floors above, and where she had set up a dressmaking business for the production of her daughter's elegant costumes and underclothing. As for Blanche de Sivry, whose real name was Jacqueline Baudu, she came from a village near Amiens. She was magnificently shaped, but was very stupid and a great liar, pretending her grandfather was a general and not owning to her thirty-two years. She was very much in vogue with the Russians on account of her corpulence. Then Dagonet rapidly added a few details about the others. Clarisse Besnus was brought from Saint-Aubin-sur-Mer to Paris by a lady as nursemaid, and was debauched by the husband who started her in her new career. Simone Cabiroche, the daughter of a furniture dealer of the Faubourg Saint-Antoine, was educated at a high-class school with the object of becoming a governess. And Maria Blonde and Louise Violaine and Léa de Horn had all been driven on to the streets without counting Tatan and who had tended cattle until twenty years old in the beggarly champagne. Georges listened, watching the women as he did so, and feeling quite dazed and excited by such a cynical undressing coarsely muttered into his ear, whilst behind him the waiters kept repeating in a respectful tone of voice, Fattened pullet, it, fillet it of soul. My boy, said Dagonet, giving him the benefit of his experience, don't take any fish, it's not advisable to do so, so late at night as this and stick to the Leoville; it is less treacherous. The atmosphere was becoming quite impregnated with the heat from the candles and the fumes of the dishes and of everything else on the table, around which thirty-eight persons were almost suffocating, and the waiters becoming careless were scurrying about over the carpet which was already grease-stained in several places. The supper, however, still continued a rather quiet affair. The ladies trifled with their food, leaving half of it on their plates. Tetonini alone ate greedily of everything. At that late hour of the night there were nothing but nervous appetites, the caprices of disordered stomachs. Seated beside Nana, the old gentleman declined all the dishes offered him. He had merely taken a spoonful of soup, and he silently looked about him in front of his empty plate. There was a good deal of discreet yawning. Now and again some of the guests quite closed their eyes, whilst the faces of others became really cadaverous-looking. It was most awfully slow, as Vendœuvre said. Suppers of that sort, to be amusing, should not be too select. Otherwise, if all were on their good behavior and everything was highly respectable, one might just as well go and feed in good society where one could not be more bored. If it hadn't been for Baudelonave, who continued his shouting, every one would have gone to sleep. The lazy beast, his leg carefully stretched out, put on the airs of a sultan as he allowed his neighbors, Lucy and Rose, to wait on him. They did nothing but look after him and pamper him and see that his glass and his plate were constantly filled. But all that did not prevent him complaining. Who will cut my meat for me? I can't do it myself. The table is a mile away. Every moment Simon continued going and standing behind him and cutting up his meat and his bread. All the women interested themselves in what he had to eat. They called back the waiters and had his plate filled again and again. Then, Simon, having wiped his mouth, whilst Rose and Lucy changed his plate and knife and fork, he thought it all very nice, and deigning at last to show his pleasure, he said, "'There, you are right, my girl. A woman is made for nothing else.' Everyone began to wake up a bit, and the conversation became more general. Some orange sherbet had just been served round.' The hot roast was a truffled fillet of beef and the cold roast a galantine of guinea fowl with jelly. Nana, who was quite put out by the want of animation among her guests, now commenced to talk very loud. You know that the Prince of Scotland has already had a stage-box booked for him to see the blonde Venus when he comes for the exhibition. I hope all the princes will come and see it, said Bordenave, with his mouth full. The Shah of Persia is expected on Sunday, observed Lucy Stewart. Then Rosemignon talked of the Shah's diamonds. He wore a tunic which was covered with precious stones. It was a marvel, a blazing star, and was worth millions. And all the ladies, with pale faces and eyes glaring with covetousness, stretched their necks as they mentioned the other kings and emperors who were expected. They were all thinking of some caprice of royalty, of a fortune made in a night. "'I say, my dear,' asked Caroline Equet, leaning towards Vendeuvre, "'how old is the emperor of Russia?' "'Oh, he's no age,' replied the Count, laughing. "'You've no chance in that quarter, I assure you.' Nana pretended to be very much offended. The conversation was becoming too coarse, many protested by a murmur. But Blanche started giving some information about the King of Italy whom she had seen once at Milan. He was not very handsome, but that did not prevent him from being very successful with the women.' and she seemed quite disappointed when Faucherie stated that Victor Emmanuel would not be able to come. Louise Violaine and Léa preferred the Emperor of Austria. All of a sudden, little Maria Blonde was heard to say, What a dry old stick the King of Prussia is! I was at Baden last year. I was constantly meeting him with Count Bismarck. Ah, Bismarck, interrupted Simone. I used to know him. He is a charming fellow. That's just what I was saying yesterday, exclaimed Vandeuvre, and no one would believe me. And just the same as at Countess Sabine's they talked for a long while about Count Bismarck. Vandeuvre repeated the same phrases he had used before. For a moment one seemed to be again in the Mufa's drawing-room. The women only were changed. In just the same way, too, the conversation turned on music. Then, Foucarmont having dropped a word about the taking of the veil which all Paris was talking of, Nana became interested and insisted on hearing all about Mademoiselle de Fougeray. Oh, poor little thing, to go and bury herself alive in that way! However, it was her own wish. The women round the table were all deeply affected. Georges, tired of hearing the same things over again, was questioning Dagonet respecting Nana's private habits when the conversation fatally returned to Count Bismarck. Tetoniny, leaning towards La Bordette and whispering in his ear, asked him who was that Bismarck whom she had never heard of. Then La Bordette coolly told her some of the most awful lies imaginable. Bismarck fed on raw meat. Whenever he encountered a woman near his stronghold he carried her off on his back. Though only forty years old, he had already had thirty two children. Only forty years old and thirty two children exclaimed Tantaniny, quite astounded, but convinced. He must be awfully worn out for his age. Then as everyone burst into a laugh, she saw it was at her, so she hastened to add, How stupid you are! How am I to know when you are only joking? Gagin, however, had continued talking of the exhibition. Like all the other ladies, she was rejoicing in making her preparations. It would be a good season, with all the provincials and the foreigners rushing to Paris. Then, perhaps, after the exhibition, if everything went well, she could retire to Juvisy to a little house she had had her eye upon for a long time. What would you said she to La Faloise? One never has any prospects if one were only loved, Gaga was going in for a little tenderness because she had felt the young man's knee touch her own. He was very red in the face. she lisping all the while weighed him with a glance a little gentleman not very wealthy, but then she was no longer hard to please. La Falloise obtained her address. Look, murmured Vandeuvre to Clarisse, I fancy that Gaga is robbing you of your hectare. Oh, I don't care a fig, replied the actress. The fellow's a fool. I have already turned him out of my place three times. But you know when youngsters go in for the old ones, it disgusts me. She interrupted herself to draw his attention with a slight nod to Blanche, who ever since the early part of the supper had been leaning in a very uncomfortable position, looking very proud, but wishing to display her shoulders to the distinguished old gentleman who was seated only three places from her. "'You are being abandoned also, my boy,' resumed Clarisse. Vendeuvre smiled shrewdly with a gesture of indifference. He certainly wouldn't stand in the way of poor Blanche making a conquest.' He was far more interested in the exhibition Steiner was making of himself. The banker was well known for his numerous love affairs. The terrible German Jew, the great hatcher of businesses whose hands founded millions, became quite a fool whenever he had a hankering after a woman, and he wanted them all. One could never appear at a theatre, but he secured her, no matter at what price. The most incredible amounts were mentioned. Twice during his life had his furious appetite for the fair sex ruined him. As Vendeuvre said, the women avenged morality in emptying his coffers. A grand transaction in shares of the saltworks of the land having restored him his position on the bourse, the mignons for six weeks past had been having a rare nibble at the profits. But now bets were freely made that it wouldn't be the mignons who would finish them, for Nana was showing her white teeth. Once again Steiner was hooked, and so securely that, seated beside Nana, he looked quite dumbfounded, eating without the least appetite, his underlip hanging down, and his face a mass of blotches. She had only to fix a sum. Yet she did not hurry herself, but played with him, blowing little laughs into his hairy ear and amusing herself with the sight of the spasms which now and again passed over his fat face. It would be quite time enough to land him, if really that uncivil beast Count Miffa was going to play at being Joseph. Léoville or Chambertin, murmured a waiter, thrusting his head in between Nana and Steiner, just as the latter was whispering to the young woman. Hey, what? he stammered, quite bewildered. What do you like? I don't care. Vandeuvre nudged Lucy Stewart, who was noted for saying unpleasant things and having a most fiendish temper whenever put out about anything. "'and Mignon's behavior all the evening had quite exasperated her. "'You know he would even go and hold the candle,' said she to the Count. "'He hopes to do the same as he did with young Jonquier. "'You recollect Jonquier, who was with Rose and who took a fancy to tall Laure. "'Mignon went and arranged everything with Laure for Jonquier, "'and then he brought him back arm in arm to Rose, "'like a husband who had been allowed to go on a spree. "'But this time it won't do. "'Nana is not one to return the men who are lent her.' ''Whatever is Mignon looking at his wife in that angry way for?'' asked Vandevre. He leant forward a little and noticed that Rose was getting very sweet on Faucherie. That explained to him why his neighbor had spoken in such a spiteful manner. He resumed with a laugh. ''The devil! Are you jealous?'' ''Jealous?'' repeated Lucy, furious. ''Ah, well, if Rose wants Léon, I give him to her freely. He isn't worth much.'' "'One bouquet a week, and that not always. "'Look you, my boy, all those theatre girls are the same. "'Rose wept with rage when she read Leon's article on Nana. "'I know it for certain. "'So you see, she also must have an article, and she's earning it. "'As for me, I'll kick Leon out of my place, you bet.' "'She stopped to tell a waiter standing behind her with his two bottles. "'Léoville.' "'Then, lowering her voice, she resumed. "'I'm not going to kick up a fuss. It's not my way.' But she's a dirty hussy all the same. If I were her husband, I'd lead her a fine dance. Oh, this won't bring her any luck. She doesn't know my faucherie. A dirty fellow, he too, who sticks to a woman simply to improve his position in the world. They're a fine lot. Vendeuvre tried to calm her. Bourdonnave, abandoned by Rose and by Lucy, was fast losing his temper and kept calling out that everyone was letting Papa die of hunger and thirst. This caused a happy diversion. The supper was becoming interminable. Almost everyone had left off eating, but the champagne that many of the guests had been drinking ever since the soup was gradually animating them with a nervous intoxication. They began to be more free in their behavior. The women put their elbows on the table, now all in disorder. The men, to breathe more at ease, leant back in their chairs and the black coats mingled in still closer proximity with the gay-colored dresses, whilst naked shoulders turned sideways to the light, had a gloss like silk. It was a great deal too warm. The light from the candles became yellower still, and the atmosphere was loaded with the fumes rising from the table. Now and then, when a head bent forward beneath a shower of curls, the flash from some diamond ornament illuminated the high chignon. The increasing merriment inflamed all. "'putting laughter into the eyes "'and displaying pearl-white teeth and smiles, "'whilst the reflection of the candelabra "'caused the glasses of champagne to sparkle again. "'Broad jokes were uttered aloud, "'and everyone was gesticulating "'in the midst of unanswered questions "'and remarks sent from one end of the room to the other. "'But the waiters made the most noise of all, "'as though thinking themselves in their restaurant, "'pushing up against each other "'as they served the ices and dessert, "'giving vent to guttural exclamations the while.' My children, shouted Bordenave, don't forget that we have a performance tomorrow. Take care. Beware of the champagne. Oh, said Foucarmont, I have drunk of every kind of wine made in the world. Some of the most extraordinary liquids, alcohols capable of killing a man right off. Well, they never affected me in the least. I can't get drunk. I've tried, but I can't. He looked very pale and cool as he leant back in his chair and continued drinking. All the same, murmured Louise Violaine, leave off. You've had enough. It will be very amusing if I have to nurse you for the rest of the night. End of chapter 4, part 1